For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, let it, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I command you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field of the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is God's word. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray together while you're continually standing. And um, Lord Jesus, thank you for... Uh, the honor, the, the joy, the, the grace you've given us to come before you and worship and sing out. Thank you. You've given us a space and a place to be able to do that. Some people in our world today still cannot openly praise you, Jesus, as king. Um, and so, Lord, we don't take it for granted. And Lord, we pray that today we would learn um, from you, Jesus. Teach us who you are. Teach us who we are. And uh, give us hearts that are humble, hearts that want to hear the gospel. Pray that your gospel will go forth and people would desire like honey from a honeycomb. So have your way here. And Lord, would you graciously use me, Lord? I confess my pride. Um, I pray you would use my words. Guide me, Jesus, so that um, graciously you can lead your people through me. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Thanks, family. Um, if you need Bibles, raise your hand. And uh, Pastor Leon and one of our leaders, uh, my man Johnny, has Bibles for you guys. We are in, uh, if you are new to our local body or if you are a visitor today, we are in the book of Exodus. We have been going through the book of Exodus for about a year. Um, and we're in chapter 23. Super excited. What we do in the local, as a local community is go through the books of the Bible. Uh, we have periodic spaces where we uh, do some topical things to continue to inform our doctrine, which is basically doctrines is, is, a, is a fun word for just about the teachings about a uh, certain subject, doctrines of God for us of who God is and his world and, and uh, who we are in it. And so, uh, but what we try to do is we try to stay close to uh, expositing, uh, understanding what a passage is, ha- is saying in the Bible um, based on the framework of the old, the ant- in, in antiquity for a Hebrew person and then how it translates to uh, us uh, today as God's people in 2016. Uh, that's what we're doing. We go through books of the Bible because um, it allows us to not stay in those safe places, but we're able to give our heart is to give the whole counsel of God's word as we desire to equip the saints uh, to be about the ministry that God has called us to. And with that being said, 
there's a lot, and not only in this text, but you, if you have just come here, you, you, you've, you've, you've jumped on a very a moving train. So, so I'm trying to figure out how to help you, but I, but I know that hopefully uh, God will uh, make some clarity on what we're talking about because it's a very important passage here. Um, in a nutshell, you know, you get to the end of, of Genesis, we're seeing a beautiful thing. We're seeing the beauty of God's grace as he, he saves not only his people, but he saves the world. Um, um, and then he continues to move on. Uh, he saves the world through Joseph, as it were. And you get into the book of Exodus, and all of a sudden you have his people uh, experiencing some turmoil where now uh, the king that, that was on their side has died, and now basically the Israelites are in, or the Hebrews at that moment, are in prison. They're, they're, they're slaves, right? And they're working for, uh, for Pharaoh. Uh, we get to see God doing that because he wants to show them something. He wants to show the world that he is the only true God, uh, that he chooses his people, right? And that he is powerful enough to not only allow to create the world, right? And then choose his people, but then grow them, protect them, lead them all the way to where he has for them, whatever, whatever he has for them. And so we see that practically. We see um, God basically reminding his people that, that they are his people. Uh, then we see him, as it were, taking on the bully, Pharaoh himself, uh, the most powerful, no, uh, powerful person in the known world at that time, and showing even Pharaoh, who actually thought himself to be God, that you are no match for the true living God. Okay? And then he delivers his people out of Egypt. And when he delivers his people out of Egypt, uh, he continues to guide them and provide for them and to really show them that he is their daddy. And then what he does, um, we see the beauty of, of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, where he helps them understand who he is and what he wants them to be about. And then we talked about the Book of the Covenant, which is uh, from Exodus 20 at the end of the, the Ten Commandments all the way to Exodus chapter 23. Uh, and we're here right now in verses 10 through 19. And, and what I've been trying to really hope, hope that you will see as we've had different teachers is that this part is all about, you know, I think of the book, The Five Love Languages. Have you guys ever heard? There's a book called The Five Love Languages. And basically the book is, um, is nothing new, even though we, we might think it is. Basically, this is probably the first five love languages. At the, at the end of the day, God is trying to show us, and what that book is doing is saying, hey, you know, people can try to love you the way they think you need to be loved. But, but basically, there's, there are certain ways that we all want to be loved. And that the way that really shows some things that show me love might not show another person love. And so what happens is in that book, they try to give you, well, here's the five ways that, you can kind of, that each person kind of fits in this box, okay? Obviously, all analogies fail when you're talking about Yahweh, the king of the universe. Uh, but what's happening here, I want to propose, here's what he's doing. He's saying, I don't want to make, I want to make it really clear. Don't try to make up ways to love me, all right? You don't, have to, you don't have to try to say, well, I want to love God. Let me think what I can do, right? And kind of put your hands up in your eyes and your head and try to think through that. He's like, no, no. First of all, you're not smart enough to know how to love me, okay? You're broken and you're evil. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow you to be aware of my existence, revelation, right? right? Then I'm going to actually call you to myself, right? I'm going to redeem you, redemption, right? And reconcile you, reconciliation. Right. And then I'm going to give you an understanding of what does it mean to be like me and actually love me. Sanctification. Right. And so what's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to make it really clear how you to love me. So that none of us in this place and hopefully no person who's reading the scriptures are going, man, how do I show that I'm faithful to the Lord of, the, of all creation? He wants to make it really clear. And so that's what, that's what we've been going through uh, the last few chapters. 
And this, this is a very exciting passage here because there's a lot of meat here. And I want you to stick with me. There's a lot of stuff. So I want you to have your pencils, got your, your Bibles open. We always say we want you to, to practice Bible study methods. It'll be on the screen, but I really want you to see what God is trying to say in this passage here today. In essence, the question is, how shall we then live, right? How shall we live as a people of God if we are the people of God? So he gives them all these different parameters, and, and now we're in verse 10. So you're right in the midst of him teaching what does it mean to be his people. So we're going to start right there, and I'm going to jump right in in verse, chapter, uh, chapter, verse 10 in chapter 23. He's telling his people, this is what it looks like to love me. He says, here's what I want you to do with your land. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year shall let, shall let it rest and lie fallow. That the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So we've seen how he wants, to, wants you to treat people. We've seen how he wants you to treat widows. We've seen how he wants you to treat, uh, you know, young virgins. We've seen all of that. And now he gives us here about how he wants us to treat the land. And so he starts off by telling the people of God, these new people, he's trying to help understand what they are to be about. And he says, hey, when you're going out, I want to first give you wisdom, right? This is just wise, first of all. And agriculturally, they didn't know that then. But it's kind of wise, right, just to... Um, especially if you didn't have any fertilizer to, to, to basically plant and then allow your land to lay fallow for a little bit, right? So that's just, that's wise agriculture. And usually a lot of times in the Ten Commandments, the things that God are doing are, are usually practically wise, right? But they're also statutes and mandates. And so you see that actually God gives us laws and statutes, not just because he was, he's saying, I said so, but actually because it's actually good for you, right? So here, this is actually good for them. Right, And we'll talk about well, why, well, why does it matter right now. But notice that it's, it's good for them. But look at the main reason. So it's good for them, but that's not the main reason why God does it. You see the main reason in the text? Because of the benefit right, of the needy. You see that? The benefit of the needy, but also not the benefit of those who are need, people who are, who are needy. But man, I love how good God is. He's like, but also even animals. Right? The needy people and the needy animals. So imagine what would happen is that, so for, imagine this. So you have six years, you're planting, and then for a whole year, you have to let your land lay fallow. You can't, you shouldn't harvest it. You can't go plant. You can't go, you know, till the soil. And he's saying whatever grows that year, you let those who are poor glean. You let them get it. And also, what they can't get, you let the animals go and get. Right? That's what he's saying here. Even the birds and everyone, right? So, so the point here, what's the point? The point is clear. He wants the Israelite, because imagine, so Mo, Moses written these things, and, and they're out, and they're learning how to be the people of God, and they go back to the book of the law and the book of, and the, book of the covenant, and they would read this, and it would remind them some things, right? Because this, again, I always say, history isn't in a vacuum. This stuff happened, right? So they're sitting here, and they're reading this, and you know what they're reminded of? Oh, okay. God is my provider. God is my provider, Right? That not only is he my provider, he's everyone's provider. And I love that because he's not, he only just cares for me, but he cares also for the needy and even the needy animals. And look what he does here. He goes on. He says, even to go on, verse 12, it says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. You see that? You see what he does here? So he is now making it really clear. This is Yahweh saying, hey, what I want to do is I want to connect these statutes to basically the, the, greatest, the, the greatest cosmic calendar ever, right? The calendar of creation. 
So he's saying, so basically the reason why he even gives this whole seven-day cycle, the seven-day rhythm and the seven-year rhythm is because of what he's modeled in creation. So he said, just as I worked for six days and then I rested, what I want you to do is I want you to work for six days and rest. But the reasons, check out the reasons for a couple of different reasons, right? He gives the Sabbath, the Sabbath paradigm of a, of a man's work and then a rest week. And think about it. It's a nomadic culture. What I love about Israel, whenever I'm reading the Bible, what I love about Israel as a people is they really didn't do anything really well, right? If, it's, it's a beautiful picture of God's grace, right? I mean, it, it tells on us a little bit that he, see, he saves like weird, crazy people, right? So that's you and me, and that's okay. But I love the fact that when you read the scriptures, you will see him talk about other people groups, and they're good at, 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 at war. They're good at farming, they're good at all these things. And you don't see that when he talks about the Israelites. This is a nomadic people. They actually weren't. They, they didn't even like to travel. Right? Right? And that was like, that's what they did, but they didn't like to travel. Right? And they had to, they had to farm, but they weren't, they, didn't, they weren't really good at agriculture. Right? So you, you have, so what's, so what's beautiful about this is, is God is showing how he, he, he truly does. He models this type of taking the weak and being strong for them. Right, because he's trying to show not only them currently, but then those who come after them, i.e., us even today, that man, that's what God is a God of. That's what He does, right? And so, what He does here—they're nomadic. They're not a nomadic culture. They're um, they're primitive. I mean, at best, agriculturally. And think about it: if you're like that, you're not good at it. And then God, in you, not even being good at it, says, "Hey." You don't even know how to do this. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you to take a year off. I'm going to ask you to take a day off. Imagine that. You're in the wilderness. You're not even good at farming. So you're hoping that what you did faithfully will come up. And then God says, okay, I know you, but I want you to actually take a whole year off. I mean, in a natural realm, people die when they miss days off farming. Right? Because their whole cycle got messed up. This is serious business. You know what God is trying to say to you and I? What, could you imagine you're a first century Jew? Can you imagine you're a Jew in, in 586 where, the, where, you know, when you had the, the Babylonian rule and all that? And, and they're reading this and trying to remind themselves of who they are, the people of God. And they see this and they remember, wow, God challenged them to trust him. What he's doing there is he's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to understand that, yes, I'm telling you in the natural realm, that seems so weird. That doesn't seem like a great ROI for you to just stop working. I got so much stuff to do, Lord, you don't understand. He's like, no, I understand. That's why I modeled first. I worked hard for six days, and then I rested. And I want you to do the same. Not only is it good for you emotionally and just, as, and it's just for his human health, but it models, I trust the Lord with my days. So how are you doing in that, guys? <laughs> so what I want to do is when you think of a seven-day cycle, and you think of a seven-year cycle, and you think of the Israelite, imagine them thinking through this. A couple things I want you to see that they had to consider. First thing that God is doing is God is actually weaving. I love this. I love how, how jealous the Lord is for his glory. God, what he does when he creates a seven-day week, and when we see this whole even the seven-year the seven cycle, what he does is he actually he implements himself into our lives, right? He's, he's kind of imprinting this reality that I don't want you to forget me. I'm that jealous for my glory. Well, why, why, how, did, how does he do that? Well, because he hope, hopefully what's happening is you're worshiping God every day. 
right? But if you're not, hopefully you'll get to that day of rest and you remember, oh, this is all about God. Oh, so every week you're brought to that point of remembrance. Every week you're brought to that point of memorial. He said, every week I want you to remember that I created you, that I did what I'm asking you to do right now. Every week we have a challenge. Every week he says, I want you to understand that that I'm a priority because we all know our priorities show themselves by what we do. Right? Right? You know, you know when something's a priority because you get it done. Right? You know, you know when something's a priority because you focus on it. And so God is just calling us to the carpet. And he's saying, hey, well, if I'm really a priority, if I've created everything, don't I deserve a moment, a day where you focus on the creator of, of the universe, of created things and non-created things, when I deserve a day. So every week we're brought to that. Well, you might go, Eric, well, that's cool, but, you know, then Jesus came, right? So, you know, we don't have, we don't have, I'm not a Sabbatarian because Jesus is my Sabbath, right? I totally agree that Jesus is your Sabbath. Look what he does. See, that's the beauty. See, Jesus, what he does, that word, when you look at it in the scriptures and you see, and you see that Jesus says, I make all things new, guess what? Jesus really made all things new. I want to propose to you that the Sabbath doesn't end. And I used to argue with my, my dearest friend, Nate, a while about this because he's a big Sabbatarian now. And, but the, and I realized that I was wrong in many areas. Because what I'm realizing that in the gospel, the Sabbath doesn't end, but what it does, Jesus makes it new. How does he do that? Well, you see this beautiful thing that God has given us, this beautiful rhythm that every day you work, then you rest and you are reminded to rest in God and realize what he's done for you. And then when Jesus comes, he comes in a beautiful way, right? He comes and basically on a Sabbath day, as it were, he says, he dies. And what, is, and what does he tell us? He says, it is finished. So as it were, I'm going to propose to you that Jesus' life is a typology of the work week. What he does, he works. And what, is, what does he work? What do you mean? You know what he does? He works hard to spill his blood for you and me. And his work was to defeat Satan and evil and death, right, and sin. And so then after his work is finished, he says that to remind us of something. He says, it is finished. Basically, I can chill. Basically, I'm going to rest now, right? And so then he rises from the dead, and what does he do? The scripture says he sits at the right hand of the Father, what does that mean? That means a couple things. When you're sitting at the right hand of the Father, that means you're ruling and reigning. And guess what? You're resting. You get that? So I want to propose now our rest is new in Christ, right? That everything's now in Christ. And so it's now a resurrection rest, as it were, that we get to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done on the cross. But I want to say, and yet still, God wants that rhythm to be you are remembering who he is. It also presses the believer to trust God, as I just said, that he will provide. Um, I just talked about God's work and rest being in creation, a paradigm for our work week. And I even think about Chick-fil-A, you know. I mean, I don't know a lot about the company, but I think about priorities. And, I, and I'm, just, I'm blown away from a business perspective how they, they, they forsake a whole days of revenue as a whole company. Think of the hundreds of millions of dollars that they would make on that day. And yet, for some reason, this person who loves the Lord saw it fit to retell the story of this kind of rest to show the world that there's something more important. There's someone more important than money, right? 
But what I'm going to do is we're going to forsake that. And I'm proposing, here's how good God is. I'm proposing it's made him even more popular. That's how good the Lord is. You don't do it for that reason, but I think it's cool that God did that. So you have the Sabbath here, and then you have for us now, they didn't have this yet. We have the, the new Sabbath, as it were, in Christ's resurrection. But you see this rhythm that he's beginning to tell the people. He's like, I want you to be about this, okay? So I want you to store that in your mind. This, this concept of Sabbath is, is an important deal for you and me to, to understand. And I want to say, hey, to see that day where you're giving that over to the Lord. Again, it's not a law, right? You're free in Christ now. But in Christ, ask yourself, what rhythm do you have in your life to make sure that Jesus is exalted in Christ? Because for these guys in antiquity, he said, no, this is what I want you to do every day. I want you to chill and remember I made you, right? You worked hard. Now you need to rest. He goes on. He says, hey, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this with your land. I want you to care for the needy, which I love. And by the way, can I just pause real quick? I love the fact um, that the needy have to go and work, by the way. I love the fact that the field's there. Uh, but they have to they have to go in there and got kind of get the get the food and everything. I love the fact that that we need to be compassionate about those who are in need and make sure we provide an opportunity for a hand up, but not necessarily a handout. Verse thirteen: Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. So listen to what the Lord is saying here. So now I would if I could have done this, if I could have wrote this, which obviously that's a tall order. This verse is probably the most important verse because uh, it's kind of encapsulating all the rest of uh, verses 10 through 19. And I probably would have put, put it at the end as I'm teaching because it makes it clear for everybody. So if you can just throw in your heart that I, this, probably, this verse would probably be at the end, but I'm going to talk about it here because of what he's saying. It's kind of the culminating point of all the laws here, right? This is kind of the culminating point here is that you say you have the, he gives the Ten Commandments and then he says, hey, now what I want you to do, pay close attention to what I'm telling you. So he probably would have said verses 10 through 18, and then this would have been the last verse. What I'm saying to you, you got to pay serious attention. And here's what I want you to understand. Here's a directive that you have from God, people. He says, I want you to guard the laws, be obedient, as it were. And then I want you to forget the names of other gods. Be loyal, right? So I want you to guard, I want you to guard what I'm telling you. Take what I'm telling you seriously. And I want you to understand it and digest it and hear it. And I want you to forget other gods. I want you to actually cast down idols after he goes through his whole framework here. And so this is what he's telling. He's saying, this is how you love me. You're asking, well, how do I love God? What do I, what do I need to do? He's saying, look, let me be really clear. Be obedient and be loyal. Right? That's what he's asking you and me to do in a nutshell. And look what he says here. And here's some clear ways of how we do that. And so what he does, and this work gets kind of crazy because now we're going to talk about all these different feasts. And feasts, I don't know about you, but they kind of mix me up sometimes. So I'm going to try to explain them a little bit. So then he says, I'm going to give you rhythms. All right, so I'm going to give you the, I gave you the Sabbath rhythm. And this is why we talk about not being a-traditional as a local church. What I mean by a-traditional is that evangelicals in 2016, you guys, we are a mess, right? We just think, I love Jesus. I don't care what people say or do. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care about the, the calendar that people use for a thousand years to, to worship God. We shouldn't be like that, okay? Because these people, there's a reason why people had a liturgical calendar, 
right? Because they were retelling this story. This is, as it were, a liturgical calendar. The Sabbath days, the seven, the seven year where you have six years and one year, and even the festivals were part of the liturgical calendar to remind the people of God of what God has done for them and who they are in Christ. This was their checkpoints. So they would go, so three times a year, they had these checkpoints that, that, that made them have to just really think about what did it mean to be God's servant? What did it mean to walk with God and love God? So let's look at these checkpoints, what they are. So he says in verse 14, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. So they had to keep these feasts. So this is how you love God. You want to love me? I want you to cook some stuff three times a year, right? You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. All right, so I know this gets confusing. Let me try to explain each one, okay? So the first feast we have right here is this feast of unleavened bread, okay? Um, This is... You think of certain rhythms. I'm trying to think of rhythms, you know, in our, in our culture today. We have certain rhythms all throughout our culture that, that makes you want to prepare for something, right? I mean, um, you, something as simple as Thanksgiving, right? Um, how, I mean, let me ask the young people. How do you prepare for Thanksgiving? Do you guys prepare for Thanksgiving at all? Young, young people, the kids who are coloring and stuff? How do you prepare for Thanksgiving? What do you do? Thanksgiving's coming. What do you do? What do you do, buddy? You buy a turkey, right? Thank you, brother. What's your name? Samaya? Samaji. Thank you, brother. So you buy a turkey, right? Anything else? What do you do for Thanksgiving? Yes, sir. You make the turkey, right? You, can't, you don't just buy it. Okay, you make it. All right. So obviously our rhythm, there's something to do with Turkey on Thanksgiving, right? So there's a rhythm for Thanksgiving. We have, right. We have a, we have a rhythm for 4th of July in the hood, right? You know what's happening. You know, we don't wait till the 4th of July to start doing what? Popping them firecrackers, right? There's a rhythm that you have to prepare you for the time that you're trying to celebrate to remind you, but it's not about firecrackers, right? It's to remind you about something bigger, Right. So you prepare to remind you about something way bigger than the celebration in itself. Well, that's what God, God started that. And so look what God is saying here. He's saying, okay, you have this unleavened bread. And what is that? That is basically, he's saying, hey, I want, I want to memorialize. I want Israelites to never forget, for you to never forget people of God, that I redeemed you out of Egypt. I want you to ever forget that. I want you to always remember that. And so when you look at the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread here, what you have within Unleavened Bread is you have the issue of Passover, okay? Because within that, so they would have Unleavened Bread, which was basically um, a model. When you had Unleavened Bread, what did that model to an Old Testament individual? That modeled a sense of sin. It mod- unleavened Bread was an issue of impurity, of uncleanliness, right? And so, it was, and so that's why it says you don't have any Unleavened Bread around at this point because it was to say that, hey, you are unclean. Now, there's a big point in that. Why is he doing that? This is, gets kind of academic, but I want you to stay with me here, okay? Because now he says, hey, I'm going to cleanse you and I'm going to protect you. The Passover lamb, what happens? You put blood over the doorpost and the angel of the night would pass by you because of the blood, right? And so he says, I want you to never forget what I did for you that day. 
Now, this, now check this out. So, so these guys, every year they would have this bread and they would remember, okay, God wants me as a people to be consecrated. So, so you got to understand, see, what, what the, the, the issue of justification, always remember this. When we talk about salvation, God saving his people, you know what he's doing? All this is a typology. He's trying to help, help you remember, help you remember, help you remember, so that when we get to the perfect, as it were, lamb that's over the doorpost, Jesus, our murdered Savior, it'll make sense. Right? He wants you to remember the issue of consecration. Why? Because, okay, well, unleavened bread. He wants me to be pure. He wants me to be holy. Why? Because when you get to the issue of our Savior, Jesus, and you remember the reality that he himself, when you're saved from your sin, understand something here. You're forgiven, right? You're forgiven from your sin. If you believe in Jesus right now, he, is for, he said you are forgiven for your sin. But if you're just forgiven for your sin, right, you still haven't been made right. You understand that? You haven't been made right and holy. He just said, I forgive you for that sin. But guess what? Now you do it again. You're dirty. The beauty of justification is Jesus just doesn't forgive you and those who say, I love Jesus and Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. He doesn't just forgive you. The scripture says that he justifies you. So that means not only are you, are you forgiven of your sin, but you're washed clean. You are made holy and righteous. And so what was happening there when he, when they, back then, they didn't, they were like, why are we doing this whole 11 thing? Like, why, why is that so important? I know he's talking about consecration, but what does that mean? Can you imagine for 1,000, 1,500 years you're doing that and you're not really knowing and you're trying to figure it out, and you're, and you, but you realize it's important. And then Jesus, our God and Savior, comes and says, let me show you why I'm making all things new. Remember that festival we had you doing for thousands of years? <laughs> The reasons why we're doing that is so that when I actually pay my life as a murder savior for you, you will realize what I was doing. So now you realize the blood on the doorpost was blood, but it wasn't perfect blood. But now the perfect one comes and he sheds his blood and now you go, oh, the perfect one comes and says, I don't just forgive you. I make you new and holy and perfect. You go, oh, 11 bread. Okay, that's what he was trying to help me understand. That's what God does to me. You see that? That's what God has done to you. And so these rhythms are to help us understand and to remember what the Savior has done for us. And even there to help help them understand what Yahweh was doing. Does that make sense? So this feast is a call to remember God is a redeemer. That whenever they did this, whenever they had the the festival, he wanted them to remember, praise God, you redeemed us. You brought, you bought us. From Egypt. And to remember, oh, and that God made us his people. He consecrated us. He made us holy. Not by something I did. Not by something you do. Isn't that beautiful about the gospel? You see, this isn't just smart stuff. This is theology for us to be able to help people understand. That's why now you can rest knowing it's not about what you do. Because it's never been about what you do. It's always been about God redeeming you and then making you holy. So it's a call of consecration. God is our redeemer and he's asking us to be holy. He goes on. He says there's another feast. So that's a feast of unleavened bread, right? That, that, and, and under there is the Passover, which, got, which we retell God's story, recapitulate, we retell God's story. Then he goes on and says, you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor and what you sow in the field. I'm checking out the time. The feast of harvest is... Um, 
is actually what they call the Feast of Weeks in the, in the, in the scriptures as well. Okay? Um, and, this is, and this is what, now, the Feast of Harvest is called the Feast, the Feast of Weeks. So you've got to remember all this now. I want you to have more of a robust understanding about the, about the festivals and, right, when, when we get done with this. And then he said, but then in the New Testament, they actually changed it over to Pentecost. Okay? And so that's why things kind of change. We, we get mixed up. So then you have Pentecost. And the reason why that was because that's what the, the Greek-speaking Jews begin to call it. And what it is, it's a celebration of first fruits. So look how beautiful the calendar is. So first you start with redemption, right? Redemption and consecration. And then you, and then you go into first fruits, right? But what do I mean by first fruits? Harvest, right? So I'm no farmer. I'm a city boy. But I, I watch stuff and I look at YouTube. You got farmers, right? They harvest, you know, is when you get the food, right? I mean, I might not be in the specifics, but that, is that a nutshell? in a nutshell? You harvest, you get the food. There's the food. I'm going to get it. Okay? And so now I'm, I am a theologian, so I understand first fruits. That's the first stuff you get. Right? Okay, so, so we understand the first fruits. So that's what you're celebrating. You're celebrating this first fruits. And, and, and what, it's, what it's acknowledging is what he's saying here. You shall keep the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. He's acknowledging that you, whenever you have that moment, you're remembering that God has provided that for you. Right? That God, that when, when, that, when that harvest comes in, it wasn't just your hard work. But you remember, man, God has been good to us. Look what God has done. God is our provider. Oh, okay, this is great. But look at this. So, so now imagine you're a new people. God has made you a new people because he saves you. He's got you in the wilderness. And he's equipping you and teaching you what does it mean to be my people. And this is who you are. And he's saying, one of the things I want you to remember now, I'm going to take care of you. But you've got to always remember every year to do this festival so that you don't think that you're just a good farmer when you start getting good at this. Always remember, I've done it. I provided for you. So then you go, well, okay, thank you, Lord. And they're doing this for years, and they're learning, and they're excited about that. And I'm a good, you know, God has been good to me. Well, why? Okay, well, this is cool, but, man, I'm doing this for 1,000, 1,500 years. Well, why am I doing this? And you get all the way to the time of Jesus. And it's so beautiful when you think of the fact that you have basically the Passover first, and then two months later, you have Jesus at the day of Pentecost, as it were, right, sending the Holy Spirit, Okay, he sends the Holy Spirit. And what is he doing? He sends the Holy Spirit to empower the people. Why? To harvest. To harvest. He sends the Holy Spirit to say, guess what? There's a harvest coming. Guess what? There's first fruits. I'm the first fruit of the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. You'll come after me and there's more for the first fruits of all those who are going to come. And so you now need to pick. So guess what? What's beautiful about that is guess the time that we're in. This is the harvest time. And so now you're going, oh, so I get it. So God was doing that for a thousand to fifteen hundred years, even more to try to get me to a point so that when Jesus Christ would come during the festival time and start proclaiming these things and doing these things and sending the Holy Spirit and people are empowered and all of a sudden people go out and preach sermons and 3,000 people get saved and then they scatter and then people get saved all over the known world. Guess what's happening? Harvest. So now when you read the scriptures and it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? To bring forth laborers. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are fruit. There are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, he says. Do you see now why he says that? 
Because right now he's saying this this harvest. You're going, Eric, I share my faith and they laugh at me. Where's the fruit? You might be thinking, well, man, it seems kind of hard. Right? You might be thinking that. Because I'm telling you right now, God said the harvest is plentiful. He said they're falling off the tree. But I want to propose, again, I'm no farmer. But you know what? What I, you know, again, I'm, I'm at that stage in my life as a dad. I watch a lot of cartoons, you know. And when I see people doing farming and cartoons and stuff, and, and I do a little research, you know, to try to prepare, you know, farming's kind of hard. Even we got five garden beds, and you should see us trying to fight off little things that's eating our food. You're, you, you know what I'm saying? You get mad, you go out there, you've been working all hard, and then someone eats all your kale. Hold up. Right? And you think, well, well we got a battle now. It's on. I want my kale. Well, I, I want to propose to us. I love, see, the thing is, I'm convinced of it, guys, as I try to tell as a theologian to see the types of what God is trying to teach us. I'm proposing that what we do in life is all practical for a theological, spiritual reality. And I'm convinced that one of the main reasons that happens while we fighting off when you have your garden beds and you're trying to keep your stuff and you're fighting against the, the as it were, the enemy, and you're fighting against rodents and pests, guess what God is saying? There ain't nothing but spiritual, baby. You understand, son? The harvest is plentiful. They're falling off. But guess what? You got to work. We got to work. They ain't going to just give it to you. There's pests in the field. There's people that want to eat your fruit. And God says you need to work at it, but the harvest is plentiful. So family, what I'm saying here is when you look at this passage, what a beautiful, just a beautiful picture of the Feast of Harvest is, is to see the resurrected Christ pour out his spirit and say, go out, guys, and bring home the harvest. That's why, do you understand? See, that's why we don't just, we're not just sharing our faith because this guy said so. See, this should give you great confidence to go out. You should go out now. And that's why we tell people we do lordship salvation. I'm not going out here to try to convince you of anything. When I preach the gospel, God, I'm like, who? So God, who's your people? And I'm preaching the gospel. And then people that go, man, that sounds good to me. Well, come on, man. Come to come to you. Jump in my basket. You know what I'm saying? Because, because, because see, without that theological reality, I am wondering. So are people going to get saved? Are people not going to get saved? No, people going to get saved because God said so. So now it's my role with gospel confidence to go and proclaim the gospel in love and kindness. It changes the game, right? So yeah, when you see that in Luke chapter 2, I hope you never forget the harvest. It's a harvest season. So what is God doing there? So you had the mindset of, of, the, of, the, of the Hebrew in antiquity, whenever they saw this passage, whenever they did this festival family, they always thought, God is my provider. He's my provider. Man, look at all this stuff we got. He's been good to us. And now that's an issue of why you should be able to give back to God because he's giving you everything. But then we have that reality as a New Testament Christian, but we also have that reality of this is a call to mission. This is God saying, I'm the provider of the food and the spiritual fruit. And God is saying, now get out there and go and pick the fruit. That's why we do Friday night prayer. That's why we want you to go out one-on-ones when we're going out and sharing our faith. That's why we are a body of Christ that says we are on mission. It is not a pithy statement that's a trend. We were doing the things that we're doing now before it was trendy. Because we were not based on trend. We were based on theology. 
That we believe the study of God tells us that you have been created and then recreated to make him known in the world. Praise God. So, so now whenever you hear that, 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 that concept of the Feast of Harvest, right? You, you, you remember this prayerfully. So you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the Feast of Harvest, which is also the Feast of Weeks, which is transformed to Pentecost in the New Testament. <laughs> and then you have here, he says in 16b, you shall keep the feast, I'm sorry, um, he says, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Can I do one thing? Um, I'm sorry, can I go back real quick? Just make, make one quick point. I don't want to forget in verse 15. Notice it says, none shall appear before me empty-handed. Can I just, that's a ploy again. Don't ever get it twisted as we are being compassionate. Everybody has something to offer God. Do you know why? Because God says, I gave everybody something. Everybody. So it is theologically inaccurate if you plant a church, a leader in a church or somewhere, and you feel sad because somebody's really poor, which we need to have compassion to go, they don't have to give to God. That's not biblical. Right? Now, we're not talking TBN, you know, blowing a pastor up so he can get a Bentley. That's crazy. All right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we all, before the Lord, give to the Lord and say, Lord, you've been good to me. Notice that. He says everybody needs to come up with something. That wasn't me. That's the Bible. Right? And by the way, if you're new here and you go, he's just trying to get paid. Our, I, y'all don't even pay my whole salary. So just for clarity, uh, we've been raising support for over a decade. So trust me, this is, I have no dog in this fight. I'm just preaching theology. So um, um, let me see here. And, I, and that's not to be arrogant. It's letting you know we raise our support so that we can give to the community and not take from it. That's our heart. Um, now getting back to uh, the next stage, verse 16, it says, you shall keep, um, oh, no, I already read it, I'm sorry, 16b, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Look what he does here. So you have the third feast, the feast of ingathering. Uh, this is later called the feast of the tabernacle, okay? And so, I mean, think about it. This is their calendar. I want you to imagine this. So you're, you're this Jew, and God is preparing you to be his people. And he's like, here's what you got to remember. you got to remember uh, this concept of unleavened bread. Always have that feast so you understand. Remember that I redeemed you, okay? Always remember that. And then remember that basically I provided for you. We're, I'm going to be there for you. All right? And then we see how that transfers to us today, right? That this whole concept of consecrate, I'm making you holy, and I'm, and I'm re- redeeming you. <laughs> and then we see this whole concept of the harvest, Right, that, I, that I'm providing for you, and now you can go out and be on mission because there's a spiritual harvest that we have. And then finally, this whole concept of ingathering. So you have ingathering here. It's a beautiful picture. Right? It's the end of the agricultural year. And what he's doing here is you're at the end of the year, and what you're, you're reminded you're, you're to celebrate God's sustainable providence. You've seen God do it. You're like, man, God, you, you, you've been so good to us this year. Right? So he brings you through the end of the year, and you remember his provision throughout the year. You see what God's trying to do? You go, man, God wants to get a lot of attention, absolutely, and he deserves every bit. He wants you to see he's brought you to the land, he's provided the land, he's allowed you to, to toil the land, he's allowed you to pick from it, and he's provided for you the whole year. And every time he wants you to say, he wants you to say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. 
Right? That's the picture there. That's his picture. But look, so then you come to this this in-gathering piece, what does he mean there? So in Matthew uh, chapter 13, I think it's beautiful. You have God sustaining providence here. And what he's saying, you have God showing that, hey, I brought you to the end. And now the, the, that, that person in, in antiquity, they're looking at that and they're just reminded, man, God has provided for us. And, and, and he's brought us all the way to the end. And now we get to us, 2016, or the people after Jesus. And think about what he's doing here. He's saying, so I provide you the harvest, and then you have this concept of ingathering. And what that is, that's a continual reminder. So 1,000, 1,500 years, they're, they're doing this. We're doing this. this at the end gathering, you, you provide, you provide. Well, now you get to the end, and what do we see? We see God showing the culmination of his promise that he's going to save the world. In gathering is basically the culmination of the harvest. It's the ending of the harvest, the final batch saying, I'm going to gather all the people before the end has come, right? It's before the end of the harvest season. And so what this is, I want to propose to you, this is God allowing us today when we see these festivals to just remember that God is a God of hope, that we know that the Lord has not only provided, that he's not only providential, in his provision, but he's going to bring it all to a culmination. And that one day he's going to say, it is finished. I've got all my people and he's going to return. It's a beautiful picture of God allowing his, his, that, 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 that human calendar to reflect the whole narrative of God for history. And guess what? He gives us the honor of being able to retell that story in our hearts and in our minds every year. See what that does? When you're thinking about that every year, when you realize that's what God is doing, you're doing those festivals and these feasts, and you're thinking about this stuff. What it does, it reminds you that God is a God of hope. And so you get God's sustaining providence. God has provided, and he is going to provide, actually, the spiritual harvest. That God is going to provide, and one day God is going to say, I've gathered it all, and now I'm going to return. And I always say, not to take name, but to take over. He's going to take over. That's going to be the Lord. A call to hope. Is what God is doing there. And that's the whole point in Matthew chapter 13, right? That, that beautiful parable of the sower there. This whole concept of, hey, you know what? There's, a, there's someone who's going to come and, and he tells about the kingdom being, you, you sow your seed and there's some beautiful plants that rise up. And then there's crazy plants, they're evil plants. And that God, is, he understands how to take, how to separate the, 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 the chaff right from the good stuff. And he's going to do his thing at the end. And that people who don't know him, who, who didn't understand that this was going to happen, who didn't really take notice about the, the, even the, even the calendar. Think of how gracious God is. He's like, I want people to be saved so bad that even if they look at the calendar, they would understand what I'm trying to do. You talk about God being gracious. Yes, sis. Good question. So Milan is asking, should we then be celebrating these holidays as Christians? Which, right, which I think is, is, a, is a great question. You have the freedom. I, what, what I want us to do as, as, as your pastor, we want you to not be ignorant. We want you to understand to celebrate the, celebrate the liturgical calendar. Right? We don't have to do, we, see, the thing is, this is all fulfilled in Christ now. Right? 
But God, there's a reason why God was doing that to show them who he is. So now we're on this side. We get to see it. But I think there's something very beautiful about reminding ourselves about that beautiful narrative that God was transpiring right before us. So you hear that? So you have the the reason why they were doing those different uh, ceremonial laws was to make it clear Jesus's mode of operation when he came. Right, so when people will go, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you, why are we, well, we look at unleavened bread, brother. I'm consecrating, you know, so you can go to each one and then go, well, Jesus, why do we, what's the harvest about? The harvest is about you getting out there sharing your faith. Well, Jesus, what, you know, so he can point to those things. We have the beauty of Christ before us and he's in us. We have the holy word. And so my hope is that we are, we are retelling this story in our life. But if not, I just want to propose it's very healthy to actually just digest what they were doing in antiquity and why. So we don't, we don't need to celebrate these, but I think it's very, I think it's arrogant to be a traditional and to think, I don't need tradition. I don't need to understand what was going on then. I got me and Jesus now. That's very weird for, as a New Testament Christian. I want to propose that to you. Very weird theology. So I hope that's helpful. So I want to free you to do it or not do it, but I want you to, I want you to leave passionate about knowing why they did these things and also have a re, have a, a, re, a good understanding and an appreciation for what our patriarchs and matriarchs did of old. That makes sense? Um, because, the, yeah, so, so thank you for asking that, sis. So three times a year in verse 17, he, so he, he tells these things and he ends in verse 17, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord. So he's saying, now look, now here's what's cool about this. This is my plug again for complementarianism. Um, so, so now everybody appeared before the Lord. There was women, there was babies, everybody. But notice what he does here, men, because I want you to understand, again, the leadership reality, the, the, the stewardship that you have in leading your families to Jesus. He tells the men, make sure you appear before the Lord. And the assumption is you bring in your, you bring in your boo and you bring in your kids. Right? That's the assumption. That's the assumption there. Appear before the Lord your God. And at the end of the day, you know what he's saying there? You're held accountable. The reason why he does that, now, and each person will be held accountable to themselves before the Lord, but you're held accountable to your family. If you're not leading your family in Christ, you're not modeling prayer to your family, you're not in the word with your family, God will hold you accountable. He says, so, so again, I would have put these verses at the top because I think he goes through those festivals. I hope that's ministered to your heart. And he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven or let the fat of my feast uh, remain, uh, remain until the morning. Right. And so, uh, so here, here it is again. And I'm sorry, I make a correction here. Unleavened bread is a good thing. It's a leaven. Right. So I'm sorry. I think I was saying unleavened. Leaven is, is the issue here. Okay, so he's so he's retelling the story again. He's just kind of reminding them. And again, you notice, but don't be bringing eleven stuff up in here. Right. Now, now you go. Why, why does he say this whole uh, blood sacrifice thing here? Why is he? Why is he, he says you should not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven. What is he talking about here? Right. And then in verse nineteen, he goes down. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother milk. Right, boiling a young goat in his mother's milk. What are we talking about? Right now, here, here, here's how, here's how, here's how he ends things. He begins by saying, "Don't forget my laws. Storm in your heart. Protect my laws. Obey me and be loyal." 
cast other gods down right now. And then he goes through here. Here's what it looks like to love me. And then he ends like this. He says, let me remind you again. Don't follow other people's false gods. It's a powerful, it's a powerful inclusion. They call it. It's called inclusio, right? That he's basically putting all this beautiful doctrine and he encapsulates it with these bookends of like, Look, y'all are so susceptible to follow and, and, and desire and to hug and to love false idols. Do not do that. He says, don't leave my, he said, my exhortation, don't leave and start creating in your mind how to love me. Don't do that. Because see, what he's doing here is he's talking about rituals that the Canaanites did. And so he's going, hey, hey so you heard what I told you. This is how you love me. This is how you walk with me. Don't go and start boiling goats and stuff. Because that doesn't bless me. You see that? He's being really clear with them. Don't go and do the, the, the practices of, of, the, of these different pagans. But I want you to stay in love and clearly do what I'm asking you to do, which will bless me and actually bless you as well. Because it'll, it'll help you understand who I am, whom to trust, and who will be returning for you. That's what the calendar does. It gives you hope. And confidence and passion to fight sin. See, now you fight sin. This is real. Jesus is real. I don't know the sin. Yes to righteousness. Right? It's only one of the things it does. So he's saying, no, don't act like the Canaanites. Don't get ideas how to love God from, from crazy people. Right? So what do you do with all this? This is a lot. What do you do with all this? If I can just remind you again, he said in that stage, God is our redeemer. It's a call to consecration. If he's redeemed you, he's made you holy. He wants you to be holy for he is holy. If he's your provider, which he's reminding these guys in the calendar, I provided for you. It's a call to mission. God has provided for you this harvest. And that ain't the only harvest he's provided for you. He's provided a harvest for himself and he's asking you to pick it. And finally, it's a call of sustaining providence. That meant God has sustained what he desires and he's going to finish it. And it's a call to hope that we're in this world today and you're going, well, Lord, when is it going to happen? He's like, you just hold on. You remember and you hope. And there's no, I'm going to finish this. The season of ingathering will happen. So it's a call to consecration, mission, and hope. Family, I hope your response is that in your week, you are inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. You are preaching the gospel in you to your sphere. You are inviting people into our local church, not so that we get bigger, but we want to have more influence so people will hear about Christ and become Christians. That you are asking people, don't just come and hang out, get in discipleship. That you are on mission in this community. On mission. That your life is about being on mission. That you are caring for each other. You are loving each other well so that we can be on mission in a healthy way. There are people in our body hurting. We need to be blessing each other and caring for each other. Lamenting with each other. So that we can be experiencing strength in the gospel. To be about what God has called us to be about, family. That's the response. That's the response. Let's make the world be convinced and have to deal with the reality that we believe Christ is risen. And when we look at the calendar in our year, we can remind ourselves of that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace to even allow the rhythm of the seven days, to allow the rhythm of the year, to, to scream your name that Jesus is our Lord. That you are the one who has redeemed us, 
who saved us from the enemy. Hallelujah. That you are the one who has been so good to us to provide for us, Lord. And you are the one who will keep providing until the end. Thank you for that. I pray that you would minister to us. Many of us right now would know there's some hurt, pain. I pray, Lord, that you would be giving us an opportunity to care for one another. To not be on mission and yet our own hearts be decrepit and hard. But, Lord, I pray we would minister from a place of deep joy. Would you do that work in us, Jesus? Would you allow this word not to fall to deaf ears, but I pray we would learn from you and grow. And would you increase our numbers so that you might be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen.